Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So we should stipulate at the start that Sean's feeling a bit under the weather. He's got no thyroid, so it's kind of, you know, it's playing with your testosterone levels and your... Well, that's permanent now. It's just that every now and then, every sort of few years it goes wrong because as you're getting older, so you've got to put your levels up. Yeah. So it's just gone wrong, but, you know... I'm just going to slide that in nice and close to you there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, so if you hear me yawning, folks... Yeah. It's not because I'm boring the it's shit out of him. That's hopefully, boring, no. <laughs> so my my dad, Sean, was born in Salford in 1964. Oh, he's younger than me. You're so old there's a real affinity and a kinship for me with this area of Manchester in particular. Right. But what he did was he got to 16 and he went off and joined the army. Right. Went off and fought in Northern Ireland, and then after that, he paid his way through university down in Brighton. Married my mum. Yeah, yeah. She got pregnant with me. They moved to the suburbs of Birmingham, and he and he never looked back, and he never went back. And I think. <laughs> From speaking to him and a couple of his family members, there's two reasons for that. I think one was it was a tough situation at home. Yeah. And he just wanted to get out of there. The other was, I guess, in the 80s, there was this big nationwide cultural shift, wasn't there, during Thatcher to chasing well-paid jobs out in the suburbs, breeding loads, getting loads of stuff, and basically just feeding the economy. It was that kind of decade of consumerism, wasn't Mm it? I mean, in, in the early 80s, he was finished there. You know, late 70s. Late seventies and early eighties, it was finished. He it it started sort of turned. Well, that's a bit wrong. It was black and white in the nineteen seventies, and then we sort of got colour in nineteen eighty. 
you know, uh, and, and then by the sort of late 80s, it was unrecognisable, you know, and it's, it's carried on since then. Do you think part of that was the, the cultural revolution? Do you think that brought in a lot of oh, creative types and also industry and commerce? I mean, I don't know if it is. This is just my perspective on it, right? It all sort of took off around the same time when <laughs> the sort of ecstasy thing hit. You know, Which is in, ironic, isn't it? In the late 80s, the ecstasy thing hit, and then the sort of big telecom revolution and technology hit, and it really did turn Manchester into this sparkling, shiny sort of place, you know, and everything seemed to sort of come, you know, start happening around then, you know, and then obviously the 90s, and it's just gone on and on. I mean, Salford now, I mean, we've got the BBC here. I know, you know I saw you on there. Media City, and, you know, so it's... Uh, you were on with Inspiral Carpets a few years back, weren't you? Uh, I think when you were promoting that tour, it was yourself, the two guys from Inspiral Carpets, one of them's obviously sadly passed yeah, on now. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. Well, I used to... Maybe Rueta was with you as well. Since it's moved to Salford, I used to do the BBC News quite regularly, having to get to London you for... Just, Five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I think since it's moved here, I've been on twice. You just walk around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we take it back to your childhood, Sean? Yeah. Where were you born specifically? In, well, Little Alton. Right. Which is in Salford. It's not near Salford, it's in Salford. And 63? 62. 62. Yeah. So for you, what was the, I guess, the first introduction to music? Were you in a musical family? Was it a musical household? Because well, I, I, I know the Beatles and the Stones have been a recurring influence in your lyrics and your music. And... Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, all the 60s music, really. I mean, we had. I remember just growing up with fabulous, fantastic Radio 1, you know, which when you're a kid and you're in all these great sort of tunes, even all the maddest of stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Radio 1 in, in, in the 60s was a big influence. So, yeah, and music, you know, my old blog was pretty Jim, much Jim Royal. Banjo had come out, you know, accordion. Uh, and then it's really the, our cousins, the Carols, there was 11 of them, uh, all at various ages, you know, going from, I think, our Matt's... Oh, I've been told to say hello to your cousin, Matt, from my cousin, Lewis Smith. Oh, right. Who knows him? Oh. He did all the artwork, right, yeah. for the records back yeah. He's just had an exhibition, apparently, which yeah, he Yeah, that's right, yeah, with Amaria. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the carols being of different ages, you know, there was all sorts of different music going on with them lot, you know, from, like, some of the girls being into really Elton John, our Pete being into all these far-out freaky, you know, Frank Zappa, anything madness going on and then Northern Soul and you know Motown so everything really you know and, and, and then then again Top of the Pops and Bowie so pretty much you know or, or Mud you know what I mean yeah, so yeah. you know everything were you inspired by punk was that a movement punk, that touched that, yeah, you yeah absolutely and... yeah cool. well punk for, I mean we I got older punk in 77. Because you were, 77. I guess, at the right age, right? Teenager on it. Or... Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a punk in 76. I mean, that was London. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and it did, it didn't last that long, really, with us in, in that sort of punk style of dress. The music lasted a lot longer. I had Steve Diggle on the show last week. Yeah, well, I know, I know Steve, not Steve, Steve Diggle's, I'm getting, I thought you meant, Memory, see, it's happening already. <laughs> yeah, but is. yeah, Steve, I do know Steve. Custody, Buzzcock Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Buzzcocks was a big influence as well. You know, I was joining him. I mean, all those Manchester bands from 
the seventies, you know. I remember the first time I ever saw Pete Shelley in town, you know, I, I was a post boy, really. I, I started being a messenger boy at fifteen right. on the post delivering telegrams, you Did know. Did you leave school at that age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was delivering telegrams, you know, I was telling people that they had to get, uh, they was being evicted or, you know, they, they had to go in and do a night shift at the trains. Deliver or, a bad news, basically. Yeah, and, and, and deaths <laughs> and all sorts, wow. yeah. I used to get a lot of that and I walk in the pubs and, you know, have one on me, son, when you give me a telegram, you think I've got a fiver and somebody put a fucking Johnny in your pocket. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really good because as well, being a 15-year-old kid, in Manchester, which in the late 70s, it was still pretty much like an episode of the Sweeney. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was still Dreary, Victorian. Drab. Yeah, you know, black and white, smoky, you know, with lots of strippers. So, you know, we got to hang around, you know, in the strip clubs, watching Bernard Manning doing, deep, you know, dinner time sessions with mm-hmm. like, you know, old strippers and all that. Like, we just sat around having, you know, having a few pints and... You know, finish our break, go and deliver a telegram, go back to the pub, watch some more strippers. You know, it was great. It was one of my best times of my life, really. You know, being a 15-year-old kid in Manchester. No responsibility. Absolutely none, you know, except to get the uh, the telegrams delivered. Um, At what age did you start experimenting with alcohol? When did you first taste of booze? I, I was on booze very, very early. You know, booze wasn't a problem in our house, you know, having a drink. It was you know, just accepted as me, my granddad worked, My granddad worked on the papers, and he used to come home at five in the morning, you know, and, and he, he, you know, he'd get dropped off by one of the vans or so, you know, somebody in, the, in, in a truck or whatever, and they'd just bring in crates and crates and crates of booze, you know what I mean, that he bought on the black market or whatever. And uh, there was just booze stacked in their shed, you know, and, and you know, there was no problem in us having a drink, you know, uh, having a can of lager or whatever, you know, we didn't do wine, but, you know, it was allowed to have a can of lager, you know, being, you know, 13, but even, do you know what I mean? Even like having a sherry, a lot younger than that, you know. Because a lot of people go out of the house to get drunk, don't they? Because yeah. their parents aren't obviously going to be too happy. Oh, we used to rob his booze, you know what I mean? <laughs> Ten years old, robbing his booze, yeah. You know, and he had all sorts. He had whiskeys and ports and all sorts, you know. And we used to just drink him. And, and if he only had one bottle of it, we'd, like, fill it up with water, whatever it was, you know. And then so his pals would come round and, and the wives and that. And then he'd be, oh, no, he's not going for the... Jimmy's in, no, it's water. <laughs> no, he'd be pulling out. He was next to him, you too. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, you know. So, I mean, the thing was, you know, and I, and I, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't grow up a boozer. You know, I mean, boozers around. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's never been a problem. I mean, I, I, I got into the drugs. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. What, what what would be a typical weekend for you around age sort of 13, 14 oh, boozing, then, as a teenager? Boozing, that was girls, it. clothes. No, uh, yeah, boozing, girls' clothes, and, and and on the pursuit of money. Right, and what would that involve? What money? Yeah, I mean, how would you go about trying to get it? <laughs> All sorts. All sorts. Put us in the picture. Oh, we used to do off-licenses, we used to do pubs, you know, I mean, houses, you know. Through bathroom windows, and you know, and we knew who was working nights, right? You know, so you knew when to go, where to yeah. go, you know. So, you know, I mean, I used to get, one of the adrenaline buzzes I was addicted to as a young kid was 
crawling along somebody's bedroom floor while they were sleeping, you know, a worker sleeping, you know, and, and drunk and, and crawling along and, and getting the wallet out of the pants. So you wouldn't even just go downstairs and maybe lift some I want, we'd go where crockery or you'd nah. go right up to the yeah, bedroom yeah, yeah, whilst they're yeah. in there asleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, buzz. You Did know. you ever get arrested as a kid? Uh, I, a few times, yeah. Yeah. My, my first criminal offence that put me on the radar was I, I was... I was riding on my bike, which is now Salford Town Hall, mm-hmm. right, and, and uh, passed there at Swinton. And I'm going past, and the precinct's on the right-hand side, so... And then this copper waves me over, and he stood on Fountain Square, where the fountains was. So I rode over to him, and he said, yeah, you've fucking been riding that bike on the pavement all over the place. I said, no, I'm not riding a bike on the pavement. I've just been blind, you know, told him whatever I'd done. He said, no, you've just rode it right now, right, when I rode over to him. And I nicked and took to court and put... And a criminal record because of that. Wow. You know, and I was put on uh, so that 12 point, month, whatever it was, can't remember. So, yeah, that, that, that started that. I was at court, and that's how I got, you know. Yeah. At that point, then, you sort of think, well, if you're going to treat me as a criminal, I'm going to just behave like one. Uh, you know what? I didn't even, I just was, I mean, I was already scallying about yeah, right. anyway, you know. I mean, a lot of our neighbours was police. I knew, you know, some of our pal. I mean, as you know, two of the Happy Mondays' dads was police. So how did the band form, the original lineup? Obviously, pre-Bez, just the original. Was it five of you? Yeah, I mean... Yourself, your brother, yeah, I Gary. Mean, I mean, again, right? It's, it's, Paul and Mark. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, including Bez, they all went to the same school. Oh, we okay. went to the Catholic school, me and our Paul. They went to the... Uh, Church of England school, which is you know about a mile up the road. So, uh, and but we all lived around the same area. And what age did you start jamming and actively going right? We're going to be a band. We're going to do this music. Uh, I was eighteen, and uh, Gaz Whelan, Paul Davis was still at school. Mark was my age, and now Paul would have been sixteen. Right. So, yeah. And this is 1980 that I've been? Well, let me see. Uh, 18. So I was born in 62. Uh, yeah, 1980. 1980. Mm. So, what, wow, what were you doing for... Because the debut album was 87. Yeah. Right, what were you doing for seven years? Just literally Not, mucking well, it was about? 80, and... I think we, we actually made that in 86, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty much sure we made that in 86. Uh, what would you do? What would you know what? We, we made a couple of singles before. I think the first single came out... Uh, a, I'm not dead on it, but I think it was around 84, 83, 83, something like 84. It was well too soon for us to be on vinyl. Well too soon. I mean, we, we, we you know, it's that old one, isn't it? It's not what you know, it's, uh, and also this stuttering thing is because of the thyroid. You know where uh, Rango, when uh-huh. that, uh, the little lizard thing. Stops in the middle of a sentence and yeah. goes like that and then doesn't speak. Well, that's what happens when your thyroid as well with my thyroid and go and then right. the stuttering starts. So calm down, let the beat a block of work. Do you want some water? You've got plenty of water over there, yeah? Does yeah. that help, being hydrated? Uh, yeah, yeah. So what, what was I saying? See, memory again. It's terrible, So you it? formed the band in 80. We should have done it. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be absolutely fine in about another three weeks' time when we get these <laughs> meds sorted out. Oh, no, yeah, we should have done it then. 
so we did a couple of singles and it was it was that old one it's not what you know it's who you know yeah you know and, and we knew Phil Sachs you know Phil Sachs owned the market stores where we got the jeans from and stuff and we hung around you know Phil's store and uh, Phil you know liked us we, we was you know we, we was decent lads he liked us uh, and we liked music he was a DJ at the Twisted Wheel a few years earlier Wigan and, right uh, was that Wigan? No, no Wigan no. Casino. Twisted, Twisted Wheel was Manchester, Wheel was the was club it? in Manchester. Northern Soul Club. Yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah. So Phil was a DJ there uh, a decade, you know, before. Or two decades before, I think, we met him. And Phil was best friends with Mike Pickering, Tony Wilson, Rob Gretton. You know, they was all pals. So because of meeting Phil, then Phil, you know, you know called in a couple of favours to them lot. And before we knew it, we was... Uh, making singles, which was just way too soon, you know, I mean, really, I mean, none of, I mean, I got the job as songwriter because I was the best at it, you know. Uh, best of a bad bunch at yeah, that but, stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know, none of them, you know, they couldn't, they all had a go and it was just terrible, <laughs> really, really, including my standards back then and... Uh, so, yeah, I got the job as a songwriter. So, you know, you've got to learn your craft. And, and the first songs, you know, was, was you know, well embarrassing. You know, was singing, are they out there? Are they available? Some of them are, you know, especially the one about uh, Vietnam and Saigon. Right. <laughs> so, oh, dude. Hilarious. Very topical in 1982. Oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So, but oh, some of the subject matters, you know. Uh, so, yeah, some of them are out there. And, I uh, bet they uh, fetch a fair, you know a pretty penny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the vinyls. I, I, yeah, a few, a few quid. You should buy them all up and burn them. Yeah, <laughs> bury <laughs> the evidence. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, at what age did you start going to the Hacienda and performing there? Well, the Hacienda opened in '82. Right. And and uh, I mean, from the day it was opening, we went to the Hacienda. I mean, the thing about the Hacienda was. It, was it, it a live band venue yeah, predominantly? To it was begin a live with? band venue, you know, and it was, you know, it was. Music night, you know, what would you call uh, club nights, yeah. right? But it was empty. The Hacienda, apart from when there was a band on there, you know, and everyone, we saw everyone there from uh, Simple Minds, Smiths, New Order, everything that was going on, East Juice, you know, that was, you name it, Madonna turned up there, you know, that was the time we saw everyone there. But the Hacienda was completely empty. When it wasn't a gig night on there, and it was just a club night, there was nobody in that club. Nobody. Uh, it didn't fill up till '87, again with the old, you know, the uh, the, the the rave culture. The coming rave in. culture, yeah. What uh, do you what do you remember about the first album? That was with John Cale, right? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big name and a, yeah, a huge well, talent to be working with at oh, that stage in your career, yeah. right? I mean, what did you learn from working with him? Well, John, really. I mean, when you think about the, the, the sort of the, the you know that that time in the '80s, I think John had probably just got himself straight. Right. And all I remember about John is he shed loads of tangerines, you know, and watched Channel 4 News, you know, and then there's this bunch of keen, totally dickhead northerners, you know, and, and actually that was a favour as well because Tony Wilson was mates with John Cale, and I think he, John produced our album for, it was either four grand or six grand. Wow. You know, mates so, rates. Yeah, mates rates. I mean, and that was our. You know, first time really, you know, what well, was our first time making an album? I and mean, we're not, we'd only been in the studio a couple of times before, 
you know, and yeah, we were still like, I was still fascinated, like, you know, in the drum booth, and I spent like two hours going, like, have you heard this tin can when you bang it with a drumstick in here? You know what I mean? It was like, wow. So we was totally Literally naive. kids in a toy oh, shop. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And he was obviously a, uh, you know, a huge Well, then he had figure, to, he had to then work with us, you know what I mean? <laughs> we, you know, we, there was only one of us that knew what key things was. You know, Mark had to tell everyone else what key we're in. Uh, you know, I mean... Was, was he patient with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what John did, really, was just went, press play and record, and, and just pretty much got us as we was live. You know, did a few overdubs, and that was it. It wasn't, you know... It, it, yeah, he just, you know, pretty much... Uh, that's how, That first album was pretty much how we sounded live. And what's the title? What's that all about? Squirrel and Squirrel G-Man. Squirrel and G-Man. Well, Squirrel and G-Man was the keyboard player's parents. Right. He was G-Man. She looked like a squirrel. Squirrel and G-Man. 24-hour party people. Plastic face can't smell. That was us lot. You know, on the powders and never going to sleep. Uh, and, the, yeah, obviously the white out was, I mean, you know, cocaine was expensive, dude, you know. Well, it was the same, same price back then as it is, you know, in fact, she's cheaper now, isn't it? So, not that annoying. It was the, it I, was I've the been drug. retired for quite a few years now. <laughs> it was the, in the eighties. It was very much the drug of the celebrities, the rich people, yeah, the upper yeah, class, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, it was eighty quid a gram. You know, wow. sixty or eighty quid a gram. You know, which was what like, we're talking in say wages relatively at that point. What you were say making from? Oh, I would have been earning that if I was still working then at the post office. I wouldn't have earned that in a week. Yeah. Well, I want to come out with that after, you know, your, your tax or whatever. So what, what sort of uh, narcotics were flying around whilst the debut album was getting made? Was uh, it cocaine? Was it was that what was Bits fueled? of Charlie. Uh, certainly, we, we hadn't hit the E then. Uh, a lot of speed and, and, and shitloads of... Uh, Marijuana. Yeah, and ash, yeah. Well, even ash, really, because, I mean, you know... It, it, it mainly was. I mean, you know, obviously picked up weed. It was like a lot of dirt weed going around and stuff. It wasn't, you know. I mean, in fact, one of the first I can remember, you know, in, in sort of about '87, you know, we when we went to the states, I brought a load of growing gear back with us. There was no lamps over here or anything then that you could just go and buy. We brought shitloads back with us from the states and 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 and, and, and grew fucking loads of it. I think it was one of the first bits of skunk night hit Manchester that. Uh, Claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> Another for the list. In, in, yeah. in, in Granby House, <laughs> fucking block of flats stank. You know, it, it was me and about 15 prostitutes in that uh, block of flats. What age did you move out of home and get your own uh, place? Well, uh, own place. I mean, I pretty much started from being, when I was like 15 and working. I, I mean, I, I just I said see you to my mum, you know, and, and then she might see me about, you know, three weeks later. You know, uh, were they supportive of the musical endeavours? Oh yeah, they, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. That I mean, makes the world a difference, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, my dad really. I mean, he, my old bloke was, uh, you know, he, he he was a bloke who who drove us and and set up our gear, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, some of some of his aunts and stuff, you know, it was his gear that we used to borrow. Good on your dad. You know, my old bloke did the clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And were they aware of the partying that was going on, or did they kind of? Oh, I mean, that was there all the time. Was he? You know, getting involved, or 
if my mum's not listening to this, yeah, I mean, you know, of course he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, sort of, you know, working with me old bloke, I mean, you know, we've spent years with him, it sort of ruined, ruined my relationship with him for a while, you know what I mean? 20 years on the road, I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, it's, because you're spending so much time together, you know, I mean, my, yeah, my, yeah. the first time we ever played Wembley, Wembley uh, Arena. Yep. And my dad was doing backline and stuff, and uh, and I can't hear on stage, and I'm saying, I can't fucking hear you, silly con. The next thing, in front of 10,000 people, my dad walks up to me and smacked me right in the nose, bang, nose goes, right, and everyone there, whoa! Oh, because I called him a silly con. <laughs> That's the start to the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nathan <laughs> sacked him. Our manager at the time was Nathan McGough. And Nathan said, I can't have that, Derek. That can't be going on. Do you wish in a way that you were still on factory records with no record contract? No. <laughs> no. I mean, look, Factory was Factory's great. It was great then. And I, I really did, through being so spoiled in a way, with how, how free you can be and how just, you know, ideas that you come up with are let room. I mean, imagine if I was on, you know, Fucking Sony and one is a universal on that, you know, and we're one of the sort of major bands on that label and we go, look, you know, we want, we've got this guy, he's a DJ and we want him to do an album. He's never done one before, you know what I mean? He, but he DJs, he's got, you know, he does London, he's out in Ibiza. We want him to, and an album that they're waiting for to, you know, boost the income for, you know, the company. And they just said, fuck off. No you way, know, ain't no happening. way on But, you know, yeah. what he's like, he's like, well, let's have a, you know, let's listen. So, yeah. You and know. you're talking there about Paul Oakenfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's go to album two before we go to that one, Bummed. Uh, tell us about the title there as well. Bummed. <laughs> well, Bummed really is, you know, at the time, you know, it was just saying, you know, it was just saying really, you know, fucking, you say kicking someone's head and you get your fucking bum, you you know, or, you know, or the album, you know, it could be anything, or, you know. I so mean, it's not American, a sexual reference then? It, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't you it know, isn't. but the thing about the Americans is they thought it meant the album's bummed, you know, it's, so they didn't want it called that, not for any sexual reference, just that because it was like saying, you know, calling an album, this is a load of shit, or it's going to do a little, you know. Lost in translation. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. And that was with the genius, the Phil Spector of Manchester, Martin. Martin, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was speaking to Steve about him because he did great. Spiral Scratch, their first EP. Yeah, and he was obviously integral to that whole sound, really, wasn't he? And the- oh god, he, the drum sound of that—he's—he's on it, isn't it? You know, I mean, I think pretty much I mean, Steve might disagree, but as far as I know, I mean, that, yeah, it's Martin's sound. What did he bring to the table? Because it was a lot it of was. electronical experimentation, right, and reverb and. Yeah. What was it like working in the studio with him? I mean, did he have a similar work ethic to you guys in the sense oh, that he was a madhouse? Hell. When he went to party, <laughs> Martin, you know, Martin, we was babies compared to Anna. Right. Hell, you know, I mean, you know. Martin. Was that one of the last albums he did? Because he passed away a couple of years later, didn't he? A, a good few years later. Yeah, yeah. He'd been out on a, he'd been out on a session with our Matt, actually, and uh, and, and and died. So. Uh, mm. No, Martin, you know, he's, you know, he's, uh, he was great, he, uh, you know, brilliant. Uh, I mean, what he did, Martin, really, was like, uh, really, like, say, Phil Spector or George Martin. You know, he was, oh, let's get strings on and let's do this, you know. I mean, again, sort of, uh, pretty much, we played live, you know, and, and he'd build, you know, and all sorts. 
There's a song on that record. I'm trying to. I think it's Mad Cyril. Yeah. Are you referencing performance in that mm. when he's saying, "I like that"? Turn, Turn it, it up. up. Yeah. And it's that bit where the guy's in his pants, air drumming when he's out of his head in the in the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lot. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did take a lot from performance. You know, it was sort of, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, it's a great fucking movie. Oh, it's brilliant. You know, I mean, that really is, you know, Brian Jones's life at the time. You know. Sort of all the circumstances that Brian died in and everything is pretty much that, you know, without saying this is Brian Jones, that was pretty much what was going on at Brian Jones's house, yeah, you know, and I, and I know that from people on the inside. <laughs> um, and that was obviously around the time people started remixing your stuff, which I guess tied in exactly with the with the old the acid house scene and all that of that, acid yeah. house. Yeah. I mean, you guys were right on the front line. Were you did you align yourself with that scene? Were you? It was, again, with us, it was, it. It, it was the pills, you know. Right. I mean, once, look, I mean, again, sort of loving all sorts. I mean, it's like at the end, I mean, when it's, you know, at the end of the rock and roll swing door, and that was what, that came out in, what, 78 or something? McLaren goes, punk's dead, it's now dance, disco. And he was fucking right, like a lot of things, Malcolm. He was right on that. I mean, the next biggest thing, really, after that was the... You know, ten years later, the old club scene, hip hop, I guess, and then yeah, yeah. club and, culture, and, yeah, and then the yeah, rave yeah. scene. You know, and he was right; it yeah. was bang on on that. You know, I mean, and I mean, you know, it's like, you know, sort of all, all, all the northern soul scene and everything. I mean, you know, we'd always and dance music. I mean, as well as all the stuff that I grew up with, it was, you know, I mean, I was, I was still, I was more into hip hop, you know. And, and uh, Public Enemy and stuff, you know, but then Great loads band. of indie bands. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it, it's just that what it was when, when, when the ecstasy is, you know, you'd be getting Oakenfold mixing in wooden tops, you know, with, uh, you know, Spanish or Italian, you know, 100 beats a second stuff or whatever, 10 million beats a second tackle, you know, and uh, so, uh, yeah. I've done that thing again, like right. uh, Rango. What about Carl Denver? What do you remember Carl, about him? Uh, Carl was... Uh, Carl was... A, Tony Wilson loved Carl Denver. And something happened to me at the time, and uh, I needed some dough. And Tony said, look, if a guy called Carl Denver, we want, to, you know, we want him on... I think he should be on this track. He said, and if you, if, if you say, yeah, I'll give you this money. And, and all as I knew about Carl was whim away. Anyway, I went over to Jersey to meet Carl. And, uh, yeah, he was great. You know, great bloke. And, and you know, we, we did Lazy Itis with him. Did you do a video for that song? We did, yeah. We made that. At these, uh, I think it's now a bit of a skateboarding thing going on down at the bottom of London Road in town. Uh, to Hardwick. And, and and it was then a little football five aside football thing, and that's where we filmed it. We, I had a rain machine because there was actually no fucking rain in Manchester for once. once you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, I had this rain machine and, and filmed it there. You know, I think it cost us. You know, that video cost about two grand to make. Now is this a rumor, or did he get pneumonia from the shoot? Who can Yeah. I don't think he did. Right, right. It's one I, I of those stories that... Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean... Does the rounds. There seems to be a lot of them yeah, surrounding Oh, God, yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> What's the most absurd thing you've ever heard about yourself that isn't true? Oh, I, do you know what? Because there are too many to list. fucking loads, you know. <laughs> I mean, loads. I mean, some of them are, you know, just... 
you know, just fucking loud. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, you just let it go. You know, I mean, you can't. I just, you know, fucking hell, forget it. Did you, were you ever sort of aware when you got thrust into the public, I guess, would, would Bum have been around the time you began being a public figure or would that have been with no, Pills, Thrills no, and Bellyache? It, it, it's it, really, I think it was, it was Pills. I mean, we, once, I'll tell you one, really, once we did Top of the Pops, then when we did Top of the Pops, if you was on Top of the Pops, you was fair game then for any of the normal press. Yep. And I remember at the time, you know, nobody liked speaking to Piers Morgan. It's Piers Morgan's son, you know. And and us, you know, we, we use... I mean, I, I get people saying, oh, yeah, you must be really pissed off with the drug thing and all that, you know, getting in the way of the music. The thing was, we used what we had. You know, there's loads of bands about at the time that, you know, you don't hear them now. And and we just used what we had. I mean, we found out early doors that if some guys from the Melody Maker, NME, came to interview us, you know, and there was going to be a, a piece about two inches, you know, long... In, in the paper, in the in the enemy or the melody maker, and and we found out really by accident by someone either chopping out a line on the pool table or skinning up, and the next thing it's a fucking centre spread with loads of photos because you know we'd had a line and skinned up a joint, and it was like okay, right, let's let's do that then, you know. So the next thing, you know, the the headlines got bigger, and and you know the joints got bigger and the lines got fatter, just playing it, you know, and and that, you know so we got more centre spreads and. You know, so great. I spoke. You to know, he's like again with Pierce. Everyone was avoiding Piers Morgan. It's Pierce from the Sun. All right, lads. All right, Pierce. How you doing? Hey, do you want to come and meet um, Ronnie Biggs? Yeah, of course we do. And we actually knew the fellow who Ronnie was with, a fellow called Tim. And uh, so we all went over there and then, you know got on with Pierce, and we're in the Sun then. Was that when you went to Rio? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that trip. Oh, God, I can't, you know what, I mean, I, I, there's lots of things that happened on that trip, you know, fucking hell, but, yeah. Oh, what was Ronnie like? Ronnie was great. R- you know, he was great. Yeah, he, he's sort of like, oh, you're a Leo like me, you know. Hey, you know, I've got our birthdays around at the same time, you know, so he was, yeah, he was all right, you know. I mean, and the Pistols had done it all before. Of course, know? yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's good enough for John's, good enough for me, that's why I'm here. I think there's a lot of similarities with you guys in the way of, I guess, the filth and the fury and the scandal, which followed you, seemed to be very much the story of the Sex Pistols' career early on when they came out. And then you sort of had Tony and Malcolm, these similar kind of figures. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely a lot of parallels, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you know, but again, we, we really did play it, you know, because, you, know, you, you, you know, I mean, you, look, when you get into music and we got into being in a band, we didn't get into, I mean, a lot of... Kids now they, they go they they go into things because for the money mm-hmm. and if you just go the and you go or the fame just for that you're never going to do fuck all and and one of the things we sort of left out when we was thinking and visualising you know was you know we never fucking thought about the making dough from that you, you know you made money other ways and, and and if anything you got paid for any of that that was a fucking bonus yeah you know. And uh, we never really thought about money or fame. I mean, once we'd sort of got into it, you know, like, we, we, we want the press, you know, so that's what all that sort of culture with the drugs came in for, you know. I mean, I mean at the end of it, you know, oh, you're still alive. It's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I never, I, you know, I was never a needle freak. I never stuck needles in my arm. I, snorted, I smoked smacks, snorted coke and dropped teas and a load of weed, you know what I mean? I didn't do fucking needles. Never got obsesses and shit like that, you know, so... You know, and in the junkie circle, that makes you a shitbag, you don't do needles. Yeah. 
a shit junkie. Yeah, you he's know, still alive to tell the tale. So fancy like, well, I'm fucking better than you are because I stick needles in me now. Fuck you now. Here's That's a question you for talk. you, Sean. What do you think is the reason why? Because for me, as sort of working in the music now, you don't see any working class bands anymore. You do, but they're in the grime scene. Right. That's where that's they are. a fair point. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's it. It's, it's like because at the time when we was doing what we did, you know, for a start when we started, white guys didn't do rap music. You know, Beastie Boys had just come along. You could get away with that in America. You know, and and, and white guys didn't do that. I mean, now you do what you want, and that's great. But you didn't. So. You know, what we did then, which was cool and, tra- cool and, and you know, right on, was the indie sort of side of things, which sometimes meant indie meant just plain shite. You know what I mean? And and, and other times it meant absolutely groundbreaking, fucking brilliant. And so we, you know, that was indie, and now it's a grime scene. I mean, the thing is, still, it's, in a way, it's still not changed. I mean, you, I mean, there's some great grime artists about and young kids that are really good and not the fucking dickheads that are writing about how many Rolexes you've got and I went to, to got dropped off in a fucking white Beamer and picked up in a black Beamer you know what I mean I, I, well not Beamer my Benz uh, you know or, or, or I've got fucking you know wedges of money and that I mean the, that's just bullshit it's, it, but there's some fucking great writers really I mean you, I, I, I used to buy them sort of CDs with they had about you know 15 different Kids on from all over the place you'd never hear. I mean, listen, God, that's fucking great. I mean, a lot of them, majors are scared to death of those kids. You know what I mean? It's like if you're too real, you're too real for them, and they fright to death of you, and they don't understand you because you're too real. And then all they'll do then is go and get something that has that will do with what they're told, and it's a watered down version. Watered down version, yeah. You know, but there are some. You know, there's some. People who know how to play the game, there always will be, and, and, and has been. There doesn't seem to be, if we're talking specifically guitar-based music, though, there doesn't seem to be any for me. No, there isn't. Working class, or as you say, real, yeah. raw. There's not, I mean, because... I suppose the only way, if you, if you sort of see music moving forward instead of it being old-style music, is going through that hip-hoppy, grimy sort of thing, you know. Even though shitloads of that's done before, it seems to move forward. You know, it's new. And uh, until somebody comes up with uh, how to do something completely different and groundbreaking, doing rock or guitar or whatever, then that's when we'll probably get something. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, so, Pills, Frills, and belly aches. That is, you that know... That was our pop album. That's our a defining statement right there, isn't it? Well, it Are you proud doing... of that album above... A... Look, what we had to do, right, really, was we had to make... It's all right making indie albums, you know, and, and this and that. But you, you've got to, you, you have, if you, you know, if you, if you want to sort of, one, start keep doing what you're doing or your art, you've got to start making some dough, you know. And, and that seems to be sort of doing, you know, becoming a bit more commercial. Is Only, that how you look back at it now then? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, a bit more of bang on what's happening as well, really. That's why we got the sort of, you know, we, we wanted Oakenfold in because of, you know, the, what was going on with the, uh, you know, the dance street. So uh, he was right on the point with a lot of stuff, wasn't he? He was actually an agent I was reading and a promoter for Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, like early on at the start. Was he? Of their I mean, he had Britain, his, yeah. he, he was into all sorts. So he still is, isn't he? You know. So yeah. And he signed Salt and Pepper. I read. Did he? Yeah. And uh, J- DJ Jazzy Jeff and uh, right. <laughs> the Fresh Prince. You, you see, I've never quizzed. <laughs> I've never quizzed him, and I've never read his book. You know what I mean? Read bits of his book and never quizzed him. Well, it's not his book, is it? But someone else wrote it. He's credited as an arranger as well as like a producer, mixer, engineer on the record. Did he help you a lot with the song structures and with the writing? Or is oh, on Pills and Frills, right, really. This is a, see, this is where it, it goes different now. We'd sort of before gone in, bashed out, gone in rehearsals, bashed through tunes. We went in with Pills and Frills with, I think, two tunes. What, we want, what I wanted was Oakenfold to throw a shitload of beats down, which is what he did, and then you put some bass to that and you and put some guitar on that, and that's what Pills and Frills was, and that was our breakthrough commercial album. And it was done in LA, right? Yeah. What do you remember about being out there? LA was, you know, I mean, it, was, uh, it, was our, it wasn't our first time going to LA, but it was certainly our first time living there for a while, yeah. you know, more than a few days and then moving on or a couple of days and moving to somewhere else. So we, we you know, we plotted up there for, oh, I don't know, eight weeks or something, I'm not sure. And, uh, and, and we stayed on Oakwood Apartments, which is a place where a lot of porno stars lived and people who's actors or, you know, movies, TV and, uh, and, and other musicians. You know, it was like a very sort of posh butlings. <laughs> you know, you get you get there, you, you you looked at this list of and a picture of what you wanted in your room. I'll have two dishwashers, three microwaves, a big telly, and then pick your ornaments. You know what I mean? And, and within about half an hour, a load of Mexicans had picked all that stuff up, put it all in your place, fucked off, and you know, your wow. your pizza packs. So it was great. Was we all had swimming pools outside and you know jacuzzis. And then you know, time you know time turn down time outside was something like eleven o'clock, you know, which you know, <laughs> which, you know obviously got us into a bit of trouble. But there was everyone was you know partying there. 
did you meet any you know musicians or actors? Did you go out on the yeah, radio? Yeah, I, mean, with... well, I think yeah, Utnor yeah. was there. You know, was well from art, and obviously, you know, it was like you know, she sort of actors who would, you know, from England. But, and then there was just loads of, you know, Americans. <laughs> you know, from bands and, and pornos and stuff that we sort of, can't, I can't remember. Um, okay, final Black, uh, final Monday's album, and then we'll talk Black Grape. Okay, and, okay. Um, we'll talk, I saw you recently live as well with The Verve. You were opening up for them oh, in Birmingham. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to see some of the new songs. Oh, what And uh, I thought they are fantastic, mate. Yeah. I just thought they seamlessly stood right side by side with yeah. the old stuff was that sort of the intention yeah I, mean, I, think, I actually think we bettered that first album you know because you know I mean again me and him was great right together fantastic me and Kermit you know I always did and, and but we had so much going on back in the day you know it was almost writing was secondary you know <laughs> you know we had fucking heroin habits to keep and stuff so you know were you this, both on it together Oh yeah, yeah, that's how yeah. we met. That's right. why we didn't. We we, we became pals because we were smack buddies. Right. You know, we was both. He was on the rap scene. You know, which is in Manchester. You know, and every, everyone knows each other. You know, and music, you know where it goes in the same places and clubs. Yeah, and yeah. That. So, and then we we, we started palling about just because we was uh, smack buddies. But you said you never injected, so it was always smoking, was it? No, I didn't. He did. He, he did. ended up with fucking the pig's valve in his heart and, and, and last rites being told to him a couple of times, you know. You know he's just got his new pig's valve in, you know, because he had to get... He looked great on stage you know, the great. other night. He's, you know, I mean, you know, look, he, he, he's 51 years old and, and, and we're out and people still think he's 20 fucking nine. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? so, I was surprised that uh, when I was reading up about him that yeah. he is that old. Mm. But you're looking great as well. You're looking really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Are you still drinking or not? You I, I do have... I, you indulge I, in I, the occasional... I, we don't, I don't have booze at home. Right. Uh, and I, if I'm not... I mean, yeah, I'll still have a, I'll still have a drink. But that's it. That's yeah, your yeah, only yeah, vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did it take you to kick the heroin? Oh, God. Well, I start, when he hit 40, he was like, look, dude, I shouldn't be even doing fucking, never mind just heroin, all of it, the lot, even smoking weed. He was like, I shouldn't be doing any of this. I don't want to be doing it. I'm 40. You know, it's like, fucking hell, because I had a big, bad time when he hit 40. I thought, fuck me. You know, I'm 40. He was like, whoa. I'm not, it was, of course, by the time I hit 50, it was fucking great. You know what I mean? I got even more comfortable in my fucking skin. Didn't need to hide behind in drugs anymore or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it took me about, from 48, I started on it. And I, 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 it took me five years to get clean. Five years, yeah. wow. You know, I mean, I ended up, you know, really, I mean, I'd done rehab so many times, never worked for me, just personally for me. Uh, and, and eventually I, I got on my bike at five o'clock in the morning and stayed on it every night till about 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Uh, Where's this? In the Peak District. Right. Although, you know, just cycling, like, fuck. And, uh, you know, cycled through on the pain barrier and bullshit. And hooked up again with my fantastic missus who blew me out back in the day, you know. And, uh, yeah, the rest is... Uh, she helped you through it a lot, oh, did yeah, she? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, history, you know. Yeah, love it. Ah. And I guess you had all that shit with the management company going on. Was that at the oh, same dude, time as that, kicking that the drugs? That went or? on for twelve years. I mean, I had a hundred percent, hundred percent of my income in receivership. So I ended up in receivership because I wouldn't pay the Nicholses their hundred and fifty grand. Right, I just wasn't going to pay them. 
I should have won that court case. And because of the head I had on and the age that I was, it was like, fuck off. Anyway, so that ended up going into untold fucking... And it lasted for 12 years, you know. And, and I couldn't go bankrupt, you know. If, if I could, I would have had no problem doing that. But I couldn't because you lose all your writing royalties. Right, everything, Everything's gone. gone. You never get it back. And as an artist and a musician, that's your yeah. pension, that's your life, yeah. isn't it? So it took me 12 years to get in there. You know, look, I fucking hate receivers. I hate, they're the biggest robbing cunts going. You know, and all they've got to do, they'll never tell you how much you've got, you know. And, and then they just take 100% of your income, right? So you can't then pay tax on it because they don't pay the fucking tax. They take 100% off you and don't pay your tax. How are you supposed to do that? So then at the end of that 12 years, you're hit with a 12-year oh, tax Oh, you've got to then go to tax lawyers, you know, and, and do all that and everything. That, fucking hell. So, you know, 12 years and, and I finally got Brian Fugler, who, who's the guy who started George Best now. And uh, Brian went and did a deal on the golf course and we got out of it. Nobody else could, could do it. So, yeah. So, like yeah, that. I had to deal with all that. I mean, the way I dealt with it was just stick me head in drugs. Yeah. Well, it's sort of understandable, really, isn't it? Because that's a fucking shit situation to, oh, to be I mean, in. I, you see, the thing is, as well, you get knocks on the door like, what are you doing here? And now you're paying that electric bill. And now you're paying your rent. You know what I mean? You're in the fucking terraced house in the of nowhere. And, and they want to know how you're paying your electric bill. You know, because they really want they you. They show up unannounced. They want and... you in a box yeah. under the motorway. You know? How did you begin to find your way out of that financially? Uh, financially? Yeah, was it just reforming the band and getting back out on well, the road? Well, it, it didn't. It, see, it didn't matter. You, it's not that I didn't. I couldn't. Earn, I could earn money. I just couldn't keep it. Right. And I'm, you know, and, and as you know, in anything like this, it's read at the tax office. It's you know, so so anyway, you know, you you can earn, but you can't keep. And then, so, but there's, then there's no point in going doing stuff, but, you know, you, you do certain things, and blah, 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 so, you know, you, then, you know, it's a fucking mess, so, but, you, you know, it's hard to get out of, it really is hard to get out of. You've led quite the life, haven't you, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any regrets? Because um, I know some look, people go, it's made me who I am today, yeah, well, and that's, it has, it's made that's me true. Actually, look, look. It's not that I've got massive big regrets. I mean, of course I've got regrets on certain things. These certain things that if I could change, I would, but you can't. You know, but, uh, you know, all in all, I'm all right. I'm not bitter. You know, not not Because that, well, you carry that with you everywhere you go, don't you? Oh, that yeah, frame no, of mind, I mean, it's a weight and it brings you down and I mean, it brings people I'm around you down. Maybe I'm just too fucking stupid to be bitter, you know what I mean? I just don't give a fuck. You've got a positive... <laughs> Ray about you that's what it is um, the last Monday's album let's quickly touch on that are you are you sort of a, a fan of that no, are you proud no, of that no I mean again look you know we, we, it's, it's what happened what happened the wrong happened people the time, to produce the album do you think well I wanted Oakenfold yeah. and Osborne now obviously after you know Pills and Frills it went to number two in the album charts there was a lot of press with it and Oakenfold and Osborne was the next thing. You two wanted him, and they wanted him, this and that, right? So he was obviously busy. Now, all as he said was, look, yeah, we'll do the album, but you're going to have to wait because we've got these commitments. 
So I asked some of our lot, was like, we fucking made them, you know what I mean? They should drop what they're doing. You know, and the next thing, Chris and Tina, who are fantastic producers, don't get me wrong, and brilliant, you know, talking heads, and they've done some amazing stuff, right? But it wasn't right for what I wanted to do. To me, that album is just, you know, it's a very poor talking heads album as far as I'm concerned. You know. It definitely took the edge off the band, didn't it? Well, you know, I mean, and... and you know, this is what the big arguments is about. And they wanted that. They wanted to go with them and not wait. And then when it wasn't a hit and it didn't, you know, it didn't do what it was, wanted it to do, it was my fault and Bezzy's fault. You know, and that caused a lot of bullshit. You know, now, I mean, now, you know, we're all old blokes. You know, there's no bullshit that comes, you know, like it is when you're young. We does a lot. You know, it's... Uh, and, and, and we're playing better, better than ever before, you know, and... and 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 we you know we we get on you know and we we go and play. <laughs> the thing is when you're doing interviews like this and you you want to be truthful and the next thing one of them will read something you go you want you fucking saying that again you cunt. <laughs> because you know egos with musicians. Eh? Well, it's 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 a difficult political minefield mm. when there's several members and I guess you've all got equal say. Is that well, right? Yeah, I mean, I see that's the thing about the Mondays. You know these. You've got Rowetta, and then you've got six lads, right? But then, but you've got Bez, and you've got R. Paul, and you've got Jazz Whelan, and Mark, and they, you know, because the thing is, because we've all been sort of pals since we was, you know, kids, and it's still that mentality of, you know, you can't tell me what to do, right? you, you know, it's a sort of thing. So, you know, uh, so, but so now... You know, it's like, where is, we ended up doing a Black Grape album because it's just me and Kermit. If I was doing an album, yeah, how are you? Oh, he's great. Fucking, let's get it on. Who should we produce? Who won't produce it? Oh, let's go and do it. With the Mondays, it's, well, where's he? Oh, is he? Right. What's he doing? What's that? Well, is he? Oh, he got, he's coming over from uh, LA and he's coming over from Canada and then he's doing this and doing that, you know. So it's, you know, takes fucking time yeah. to organise stuff. So, we, you know, we went and did a, a Black Grape album instead. And that's out April, uh, July the 7th, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something then, like that. And you, now with Creation, obviously. So Alan, no, Well, Creation Management, the yeah. album's out on Universal. Right, right. Yeah. So Alan McGee's looking after you. Oh, Alan's been... Yeah, I mean, Alan... When he, we, is he doing both bands? He's doing Mondays yeah, yeah. and Black Grape? He's doing Mondays, Black Grape, and then me. Oh, great. You know, so... Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, Alan, at first, right? Alan, it's, it's funny how it all sort of came together... Alan had seen about the, the Black Great, uh, was it the Mondays? He, 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 actually, he got in touch wanting to, because he knew the Mondays needed a manager. And then I said, Alan, we've just got this guy, in, you know, we're on a six month with him, you know, see if it works out. All oh, right, okay. So if it don't work out, we'll see you in six months. In the meantime, we then got Black Mean Kermit, who's definitely doing Black Grape. So I rung Alan up and said, Do you fancy looking after Black Grape? Of course, yeah, I'd love to. And then, so what, we're doing all that, and then the six month came to an end with the other people. It didn't work out, so then Alan, you know, got Black Grape, the Mondays, and, and me. And what a musical lineage he's got. Oh, Alan's brilliant. Well. I mean, he's, he's, he's a fantastic fucking dude. That's like, he's a dude. No bullshit. No, no, no. He's, 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 he's fucking great. He really is. He's, he's a genuine bloke. 
Have you met? Do you know him? I don't know him. I've never met him. I'd love to get him on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. oh, Alan do it. He loves it. I'm sure he does some good stories, doesn't <laughs> he? You know, you got to fucking drag me kicking and screaming still. You know what I mean? But Alan, fucking, you know, it's like he's DJing. Going out DJing he tonight. Loves it. Sean fucking loves it. <laughs> Are you not a fan of the interview then? Does it just kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable? No, no. I, I, I mean, I go out and do Q and A's and stuff now. I, I, I quite enjoy it. I, well, one thing that I really enjoy, which again I didn't think I would, is they asked me to do this thing with all university kids I thought like, oh, I fucking did it music business to me and didn't like my Q&A stuff so I did it and all these kids was great and I thought you know it's fucking yeah. you know enjoy it so I'll do more of them so I don't mind you know what I mean I, I, it's, I, I don't mind I think with doing lectures or appearances in front of like uh, kids is the most rewarding thing you yes. can do is inspire yeah. young people right which That's you know I would have stayed away you, from but, you yeah. know basically I'm a bit not lazy, cunt. It's just like, one, I don't like something that I've never done before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you're like, and, well, and that's always the I? best yeah. thing. My missus always says, change is good, change is great. And I didn't like change, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, but, you know, change is good. I read something about the first Black Grape album, about how you were saying that you'd wish that was the last Monday's album. Well, it should have been. should have been. It Do you been. have to have a different frame of mind to write for the two projects? How does that work? Because that's quite interesting to me, because... They're very similar in some ways, but then they're quite different in others. Well, the thing about with, with Black Grape is, with the Mondays, I have to write on my own. With, with, Black, with Black Grape, me and Kermit, I mean, we, we just bounce off each other. And we, we both, I mean, it, what we do is we write cartoon short stories. You know, that's what we do. It's, you know, we, we take bits out of our lives, his lives, what's on the news, you know, uh, what somebody said, and we make cartoons, stories up, you know, short stories or little movies going on in our head and and sort of, you know, bring it out on, uh, on record. Do you have a preference when writing? I love writing with him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you see, what I do as well is because I'm not, a, I don't traditionally go, right, time to write. Here's my pad, mm-hmm. you know, and boom, 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 boom. I don't do that. What I do is I have a teapot, right? And the teapot, I, I put fucking beer mats in it with a couple of lines on, anything you can write on, you know, and, 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 and throw it all in this teapot, whether it's for Mondays or Black Grape. And what it is, when it's time to go and start writing, I just get the teapot and take all the shit out and look at it, you know, especially on Black Grape as well. And then he comes with all his idea, you know, or, or we just start... You know, get a beat up and start at it. He comes with all these bits that he's, you know, he's got wrote down in his pads and I've got all my fucking pieces of torn up shit in, in my teapot. So it's a little bit like the Burroughs cut up kind of technique to lyric writing. Is yeah, it? in a way, yeah. yeah. But, you know, because I... But obviously they're not but, random. Yeah, I mean, what we do is... I, I, I love two-liners or three-liners and then that's in there. That's the start of a start of a story, you know. So... Uh, and then I can get, you know, get something out and then, oh, right, okay, yeah. And then just build something around it. And yeah, I might yeah. use a personal experience just a little bit. It means like one of the two's nine lives. That's a bit about me. It's a bit about, you know, something else. But Kermit, come, we, we, we put all that in and just write a song about it. That's our job, to, to write a song, come up with, you know. And, and, and then a lot of times they do sound very personal. You know, so that's even better, really, if it sounds personal. They do like that record companies. 
Tell me about celebrity. I just want to power for you a few last things before we uh, wrap up. What, the TV stuff? Yeah. Well, I, you know, again. Crocodile dick, Sean. What does that taste like? Because you, you just smashed. I watched the, uh, I, I didn't the clips have any problem. when it was on TV at the uh, time, and um, you just smashed through it all. Like, yeah. You just didn't even care. Do you know what, right? And there's so many, like, oh, I can't possibly. You see, that's the thing about that, right? <laughs> I always like, give do it on that. Right? Here's the two differences. I mean, years before, I'd turned down uh, Big Brother. And Bez went and did Big Brother, uh-huh. yeah. and Bez won it. Yeah. At the time, 2004, I was still sort of, well, I'm an artist, we don't do that sort of thing. And, and then by the time 2010 come along, the whole game had changed. And, and, and really, you know, you know, you've got to think of new ways to, to sort of get your name now. out there, yeah, haven't you? You've got to. I mean, you know, and, and we Americans, we've, you know, even when we started it with, you know, Rev Run and, and, and Snoop and they're all doing stuff, you know, and reality stuff. And you've got to do it, you know, I mean, that's it. So by the time I got offered that, it was like, well, to me, the, the you know, Big Brother is, you know, you've got a, a bunch of people with mental health issues and throwing a load of fucking booze. Yeah. Now, the jungle... Time bomb. The jungle, right, all they do is they get a load of fucking pampered fuckers, right, <laughs> starve them, make them eat shit and, and walk and exercise. That's it. And you sleep outside in a sleeping bag. How fucking hard is that? It's not, is it? You know what I mean? So... You know, I, I didn't want to do it. The, the wife was saying do it, and the kids and everyone do it, and the record company was do it, and I would fucking do it. I did it, and I loved it. It was great. You did love it, did you? Yeah, you get yeah, a kick I out of it. Fucking loved it. Yeah, it was. You know, uh, yeah. And and then uh, the people that I was in with, you know, uh, I liked them. Was Dom Jolly in the same one as Dom you? Dom was in. He's uh, great, isn't he? You know, I mean, I like Lempick Olpick. You know, I got <laughs> fucking him, him. Ooh, I liked him. He's a wacky dude. You know what I mean? He's fucking wacky. <laughs> you know, the guy's, his, his family are scientists, you know. They was, you know, they had to get out of fucking some war-torn Eastern European country in the 70s and then they sent him fucking to Northern Ireland, you know what I mean? Like, he, he's going to be fucking wacky, you know. So I liked him. I like, you know, even Gillian, Gillian McKeith. She's fucking, you know, a blagging woman who pretended she was a scientist by looking at people's shit. She was a nutcase. Well, she was great, you know. And John did it as well, didn't he, John Dom, Oh, Johnny, well, that's why one of the reasons that convinced me. Well, if it was good enough for fucking John, then it's good enough for me. That's why I'm doing this one. Good enough for him, I'm having it. I like, well, (laughs) thank you very much. Cheers, John. Um, Let's talk very quickly. I I want to um, talk about the alien stuff because on the way here, there was a girl with a patch on the back of her jeans. Really weird. Like, I'm on my way here to meet you, and she's got a patch on the back of her jeans with a UFO, and it says, I want to believe. I was like, because I wasn't going to ask you about it, but then I thought, oh, that, I that's problem. a sign that yeah. I want to, because yeah. um, leading into it... Look, I've already made a cunt of myself anyway. I mean, you see, look, as soon as you touch on that, and especially me with the drink and drugs, you know, I mean, I first saw... It, I was... 15 years old, I'm going to see my job as a messenger boy in town. I'm going to the bus stop, and there was a little kid as well who went to grammar school in town. He must have been about 10, or not 11, 12, something like that. And uh, it's seven, just before 7 o'clock in the morning, we saw this thing going, zip, 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 stop, zigzag, zig, stop, and then fuck off like that. And that was 1978. Now, we're not supposed to have anything like that now. I'm sure we have, but we certainly didn't then, you know, and and I know what we saw and not that kids saw, you know, and 
and that was the first time I'd ever seen anything. So, you know, I, I was interested from that. And then if, about a year later, I'm stood at the height in Salford. And now what I've seen on, on YouTube quite a lot is these lights going across the sky that look like loads and loads of craft going really slow, something like that. And, uh, and, and I saw that. And then they, at the time, they tried to say that it was the lights at Salford Rugby Club that had gone, you know, dolly. The floodlights, which he was like bollocks. I know what I saw there. And then I seen it again we, I, when I was doing the documentary. I didn't say anything at the time because it was getting it looked like you're just saying it to promote the documentary. We'd just come back from Chile or wherever we'd been, and uh, again it's uh, seven in the morning. It's it's light, and I wake up, and on my backfield over the fucking apple tree, right, is a craft. It looks like it's made out of. Airfix kit, right? It's even a bit wobbly, as though it had strings on it, right? This fucking thing then, it's got lights going all around it, blue, purpley A's, right? Looks like it's made out of plastic as well. So I'm thinking, sis, they fucking, you know, a, a production plane taking a piss, have they got some sort of remote control? Next thing, this thing makes fucking cloud and goes off really slow over the backfield. Cloud gets more and more till you're just gone. You couldn't see it. I said that on this morning, you know what I mean, on a TV, that, their show. So I'm like, no, well, people just think you're a fucking dick. It don't matter, I know what I saw. Do you have people in your family or your friendship circle who support you? Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, do yeah. believe you? Yeah, of course, yeah. Because... Well, my wife was laying next to me, right, and for some fucking reason, right, I went, no, don't wake her up. Don't wake her up, right? I don't know why I did that. I should have woke her up to look at that. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Where do you stand, Sean? Because I want to, leading into the paranormal kind of, you know, scientific supernatural mm -hmm. stuff, you were obviously raised Catholic. Yeah, yeah. You, I think, mention and sort of reference God and religious imagery quite a lot in your lyrics. Yeah, I mean, well, going back to that first album, right, it looks like that full album, we had to purposely avoid that this time. What happened on that first album is we did about 30, 35 songs and... Black Grape you're talking yeah. about. Black Grape album and, and Gary Cooper has just happened to pick all the ones with sort of you know religious elements in them so you know, but yeah yeah you know where do you stand Catholic. what's your spirituality how do you define that and do you do subscribe I, to any organised religions do you well, are you look, a person God's of faith God's religion is fucking bollocks uh, do, 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 even the scientist in fact now he's, he's, he's you know where science and God a meeting, you know, I mean, with quantum physics and some of the stuff that's the breakthroughs that are happening now. If people don't know, they should fucking read. Uh, it's just whatever you what you can think, you know, it's, it's real, you know, it's 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 not just us in the universe, there isn't, you know, and just because you know, we supposedly not invented, you know, travel that can just open this fabric in front of us, which is a fabric, open it and make you move and pull it to you, you know. Uh, it's just because we haven't invented travel like that or warp speed or whatever you want. It doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't. It doesn't even mean that we haven't invented it from the future. I'm not Even I know what that thing was that I saw. It was a craft. I don't know if it was alien or it could have been, you know, it could have... Man-made. Yeah. Perhaps. From when, I don't know, you know yeah. what I mean? But even if you look at all the latest research, then we, we do know now that time travel is possible. 
What's interesting is I think in the last 20 years, technology has developed and progressed yeah, at such an insane rate that who knows where we will be in another oh, yeah. 20 or 50 because if you know you're a child of the 60s years. right yeah, yeah so for you things like hair dryers televisions would have been things of the future when oh, you first saw them right yeah absolutely. and now that's their yeah. anti- antiquated do you know well, prehistoric that, gadgets there's more technology in that than what sent our astronauts to the moon he's holding up his phone ladies and gentlemen yep you know yeah and, and if you look at all the the, the the astronauts, right, from the Apollo missions who are all on the deathbeds, all their official secrets act shit has now run out. Now, these guys who have got distinguished military careers and they're so high up in the Air Force and they've been to the moon and now they're all talking about what they actually saw there and what they know, you know, they're not just making it up. You know, to to for everyone to say, well, what a fucking crazy bastard he is. Well, they'd have nothing to gain know, at this stage, absolutely, would they? Absolutely. You know, yeah. so you know. So you're a, you're of the opinion really that somewhere in the middle of science it's the and shit, the shit going on else. here now, right? That anyone who doesn't believe, he thinks it's all mumbo, are just seriously getting mugged off. Well, you have to look at it like this: if you believe that in seven days or six days, because he rested on the last, yeah, that yeah. a guy in the sky with a beard created yeah. everything that you yeah. see before you, yeah, that is far crazier. Uh-huh. Mm, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> with no disrespect to anyone you know no, who's well, tuning in, who's absolutely, yeah, a person of faith. But it's mm. all in the way that you perceive the world around you, right? Absolutely, yeah. You Truth know. is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. You know, we, we do we do make our own reality. What have you learned, Sean, to condense this crazy ride into, you know, a few ideas and th- thoughts and lessons? It's going to get fucking freaky in the future. <laughs> it is. You're yeah, not wrong yeah. there. Yeah, and they're not far off as well. You know, not that, uh, you know, we really, we, we, you know, <laughs> I mean, driverless cars now, you know, give that, 15 years, and, and that is just going to be normal on the road. Yeah. You know. And then they'll be coming off the ground next. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I do believe that technology has been held back, you know, till... Uh, I mean, it's like the people that make these, right? They're the same people that make the fucking cigarettes, but it wasn't at first, but now they all know, you know, you've got individual people that try to set up selling these... And now this is the people that have gone to the market and now in the big tobacco companies. Yeah. It's like if when weed does become legal here. You think it should? Yeah, Did, do you well, know didn't, what? Didn't a fa- one of your family members have something with their son? And Yes, and yes. I mean, he had cancer. Cancer treatment. And... You know, I've, I've gone from, first of all, when I was young, drugs should be legal. All of them. Uh, then... Then I went to this where I didn't even want weed being legal, you know. And now I'm back to the, the sort of thinking is, look, you've got to try something new and drastic, right? I mean, if you look what's happened in California and America where, you know, weed, you can now grow weed, smoke weed, go to your specialist shops and doctors, and they're getting the taxes. Whatever happens in America, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30, 50, it will happen here. It will, it does, that's it. You know, and, and, and certain things in Europe. So it, we will see that, because, you know, to take it, everything out, the gangsters and, and all the bullshit that goes with, with drugs, it's got to be something new and different tried, really. 
What's the most powerful drug you've ever tried, Sean? Um, Any off the beaten track ones? That... Well, what, you mean the DMT and stuff like that? I mean, that. just what's the one thing that you've tried that warped your head the most and really expanded your mind in the well, most at least obviously it's sort of DMT, DMT molecule sort of that hallucinogenic sort of drugs, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, back back as a kid, you know, I was my mind was. I mean, I was always out there, I suppose, but certainly about learning. I just didn't want to learn. I wasn't interested. I mean, I had learning difficulties anyway as a kid. You know, I didn't. I didn't learn my alphabet till I was twenty six, and that was through singing it. And uh, you know, obviously, you know, if it te- teachers, you got to get through to you. And, and, you know, so I was pretty much closed down. And what opened my mind, this is just me, was smoking weed and, and having LSD. You know, it, to me, then that, that's a book. I want to read it. That's information. I want to find that out. And that's what, you know, that, that kick-started me. That sort of opened me up. They're really helpful for a lot of people with mental health issues. Mm. I've read a lot of stuff mm-hmm. about the, you know, mm. healing powers and the positive effect that psychedelic mm. drugs can have on people whose brains aren't, you know, perhaps wired to function mm. in the quote-unquote normal way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as a lyricist, as a songwriter, as an artist, as a storyteller, what are the things that interest you the most? What's it important for you to portray and express with your music? Well, I always... I always stayed away from politics, you know. I, 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 one, I'm not, I, I was, I'm not clever enough to get political. I'm that sort of way of clever, you know. And I just avoided it. Now, I mean, I didn't vote till I was 51 years old. You know, I'm 55 in August, so I'm not, uh, not spending that much time voting. And it, it was a world where it didn't, it wasn't going to affect me. I mean, now with kids and everything else, I, I felt like I had to sort of do something. I am getting more voicing myself on political things, you know, what I think there's some fucking really injustice going on and a lot of cuts that I don't agree with and stuff. So, uh, uh, and, but... It's a troubling time, isn't it, right it, now? Yeah, it, it, it has. It's gone pretty fucking... I mean, again, it's, it's, it's really not much difference now than what was happening before the First and Second World War. You know, it's, we just keep going around on this fucking hamster wheel mm-hmm. and repeating the same mistakes and, and doing the same bullshit, you know, for people that seem to profit out of it. You know, so, but I mean, what I've usually tried to do with, with writing and lyrics is, is just really make people, even though some of it might sound... You know, not, you know, a bit, ooh, but just really to make people sort of laugh or, you know, or, or enjoy something, you know, enjoy it just for a bit of fun. That's, that's, that's what, you know, sort of like, you know, really come from the sort of a, I am the walrus cuckoo kachu school of writing. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Over the day, over the da. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and final question is, how would you like to be remembered? Yeah. Fucking hell. All right, fella, decent dude, you know. I've, I've, got, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got to start. I'm, I'm trying to sort of put more back now than ever before, you know. In terms of, well, just you know, 
helping out and then and, and doing things that I should have been doing way back. Charity work, you know, that's, you know, stuff like that. You know, our, our certain causes and things that you, you know, should now be involved in. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. I hope it wasn't too painful. No, no, it's good. It's good. Put, put her there, brother. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks <laughs> very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.